This podcast is designed for anyone currently with kids or considering becoming a parent. Created to inform, inspire and support you on your parenthood journey. And so, from an in-depth psychotherapeutic understanding of current child development, we bring you Parenting the Next Generation. How not to fuck up your kids. Hello and welcome to Parenting the Next Generation, How Not to Fuck Up Your Kids with me, Katie Goldfinch, and Kitty Hagenbach, a family psychotherapist who is an expert in her field and has been a family psychotherapist for 30 years. Nice introduction. Thank you very much, Katie. (laughs) So it's a great pleasure to be here with you, Katie, today. And Katie is her latest passion is effective communication. So she's right on the money here. She's got many qualities and many areas of expertise, but that's what we're looking at today. Yes, this episode is called Making Repair, and it's the episode I'm most excited about. So our knowledge of ourselves increases with age, and so realisations about our own behaviour and how we've impacted others as we grow older arise all the time. So if you're able to come to those you've affected over time and acknowledge that, it can be very transformational. I know it's something celebrated in the 12-step programme. So making repair kitty it goes both ways doesn't it it does i mean this is a wonderful subject and i think there's making repair about something that happened a long time ago and there's making repair about something happened yesterday there's also making repair with ourselves and making repair with our own parents probably is also very important here so there are aspects of making repair it'll be the same process whether you're talking about making repair with say an adult child that you've suddenly realized we're not present for or in some way that you may have failed them. Or it's the same process if you yesterday completely lost the plot and had an over-the-top reaction, screamed at your kid in a way that distressed them. So the aspects of making repair are the first thing you need to do is you need to inquire whether the person is happy to speak to you. And that's also the same as a child. You know, you want to find a time that's going to be suitable to everybody and that you're not going to be interrupted. That's really, really important. So if you're the person who's initiating the making repair, you say what your vision is of what happened. So we might do two different things here. We might look at what happened yesterday. So you might say to your child in age-appropriate language, I've been thinking about yesterday and we had this enormous argument and I'm aware that actually I'm responsible for that. And I think that might have been very upsetting for you. So you're going to say what you think might have affected the other person. I imagine that was difficult for you. And then you leave a space. You let the other person come back and say whatever they want to say. So a young child might say, yeah, mummy, you were mean. You were really mean. Or another older child might say, yeah, what are you on? That's not okay. Or they might say, yes, I was very hurt. Whatever they say, just hear it. And then you say, I'm really sorry. You apologize unequivocally, but you just don't do it again the next day. There's no point in going through this, I'm really very sorry, and then not making any effort to understand yourself, to know why did you get so angry, and to be able to curb your anger. Now, it's the same process if you're going to talk to, say, an adult child, but it's going to be a more adult communication. So it might be a longer meeting. Ask one of your kids, I've been thinking about things. I'd love us to get together. And could we talk about something personal? I really need to speak to you about something that's been bothering me. So you meet up with your adult child in a suitable place where you're not going to be interrupted. There are no phones on. I mean, it's got to be sacred space. 
And you say something like, I've been thinking about how I was as a mum. And I realised that I went back to work really quickly after you were born. And I had no idea that this was actually not the really right thing to do at the time. But I went back to work. I was incredibly uh, driven by my career. And I begin to think about how that might have affected you as my child. My sense is it probably wasn't ideal for you, that perhaps you didn't feel loved or important to me. And, um, you know, I'd love to talk about that. So then you stop again, allow the other person to come back. I know what you're talking about. Or I'm glad you brought this up. Or (laughs) I don't know what they'll say. But listen to them and listen to what they have to say. And whatever they have to say, just hear it. And I think in the case of an adult, you're then going to have some discussion about how that was. And you can say to them, you know, again, the apology, I'm really, really sorry. I simply didn't understand what your needs were. And I had no idea that I was a workaholic. How can I show up in your life now? Is there anything that I can offer you now? So you're going to come into now with the adult child and to see what would be the way forward together. So it's going to be slightly different according to who you're talking to. But in general, it's got five points. Find the sacred space. Say what happened from your point of view. Then say how you think it may have affected them, not you will have felt this, how I think you might have felt that. You have to be in wonderment when you're talking to somebody else about how they felt. Leave space, let them talk to you, give them time, go slowly, and then after they've replied, you unequivocally apologise. And then you sort yourself out and don't keep doing it. (laughs) So those are the systems, and that can be in lots and lots of situations. But there's also repair with your own parents. So perhaps you haven't resolved things with your own parents and you're an adult. You're either thinking of having children or you've got children. Better to do it when you're thinking about having children. And in my case, I went back to my mum and I talked to her about my experience of my childhood. And she said, after all I've done for you. So she was quite sort of defensive and she could not understand what I was saying. And she couldn't understand that the things that upset me had upset me. And she said, well, what about these other things that happened? And I said, well, they didn't upset me. Anyway, we didn't get very far at all. We didn't live in the same country, but we saw each other a couple of times a year at least, I suppose. And about three years later, she said, hmm, I've been thinking about what you said. And I realized it must have been difficult. And then for me, as the adult child, I think, oh, at last, it's acknowledged. So it's the acknowledgement, really, that's the healing. It's that somebody else can acknowledge that I'm entitled to feel what I feel. Mm. And that just was such a healing moment. Yeah, I can relate to waiting a long, long time to getting the response that you need. I've had a very difficult conversation with one of my parents about difficulties that arose in the past and... They really heard me and it was really important. I mean, it was sort of 23 years too late, really, but it was so powerful, so transformational. And you have to be prepared for what comes up for your children if you are going to go to your children or to your parent, whoever you're trying to make repair with. You need to be prepared for that bringing up a whole era, perhaps, or um, an event of the past. So how do you manage that and how can you maximise the opportunity in the gesture? So I think that the opportunity really is that the communication can improve. It isn't necessarily going to improve. 
hopefully going to bring about healing, but it might not bring about healing because either way, your own child or your parent may just simply not be able to handle it. In which case, you need to just say, that's how it is, and sit with your own feelings and process them. A really good way to process things is just to write by hand, just journal it down. It really helps to get things out. Not on a computer, not typing, but actually writing by hand is very, very healing. And so there's no guarantee that, you know, you're going to get what you want. But I think it's worth having the attempt. And even if you don't get what you want, when you are, I think, speaking to your parents, it's very important to explain you're not blaming them. I just need you to hear. So if you're going to your parents, it's sort of like, I'd like you to be able to hear something. Mightn't all be easy for you. Are you willing to hear me? Can you please hear me? And some will say yes, some will say no. If they cut you off right there and then, that is really difficult. And you might say again, I'd just like you to listen. That's all I need from you. And throughout our lives, we need to be heard. And it's so helpful if we can be heard. But if we can't, then we just need to accept, okay, they have their own limitation. They had their own issues in their own childhood because unfortunately, issues are handed down from generation to generation. And this is what Oliver James would say, they fuck you up, your mum and dad. They do not mean to, but they do. They pass on all the faults they had and add some others just for you. And this is what happened. And this is what I'm interested in stopping. You know, let's stop the rot. Those of us in our lives can actually look at ourselves and work it out and become much more honest both with ourselves and with others. Mm. Modelling taking responsibility for your actions gets me excited and it makes me optimistic as well about future generations, if it's commonly practised amongst parents, of course. How can we go about, I don't know, sort of leading by example or hoping that other parents might follow suit? Yeah, I mean, something you can talk about with other parents about what your experience has been and if you've done it and how it's worked out. The thing I think, first of all, we need to recognise that we're out of order. We don't necessarily think we're out of order. We think we're right. And parents often think they're right and children are wrong and that the parent knows best and um, that child shouldn't have been doing that and it's quite okay that I got so furious or whatever. I think we're all going to get angry with our kids from time to time. It's not about never getting angry. It's about how often we get angry and actually how aggressive is the anger. That's something very important to measure. So if we can recognize that whenever we have an over-the-top reaction to anybody or anything, it's telling us something about ourselves because we are quite unconscious. It's true we get to know ourselves better as we go through life, and I think that's the bonus for ageing. We can become wiser. Not necessarily, but we can. So we have an over-the-top reaction. Why do I have an over-the-top reaction? You know, what do I need to learn for myself about that? Mm. And then if we recognise that, then we can begin to model making repair. We can begin to model it's okay to say sorry. And awful lot of people do not want to say sorry to their children. I have no idea really why, but it seems that they ought to know best or something like that. So it helps us to recognise that there's something in me that I haven't really understood or healed or let go of yet. I'm still defending some very tender part of myself. And by understanding that, then you don't need to go over the top about something. You don't have to be what's called triggered or activated because events happen in present time that unconsciously remind us something that happened in the past can be 50 years ago Mm. and we can still be reacting to that. But it's not going to make any logical sense when we think about our behavior. Thinking, why did I get so upset by that? You know, it's a question for ourselves. 
And is it okay to acknowledge that with your child if you're not sure of the reason? You can just say, hey, I really overreacted there. I'm working on why that is. Yeah, I mean, just to, you know, I really overreacted there because it might be in the moment you're going to say, oh my God, you know, so sorry. What, what, this is ridiculous. Why am I so cross about that? I'm sorry. Let's start that one again. You know, what was it you were saying to me that I reacted to? And hear them this time and say, yeah, okay, I must think about why Mm. I was. I mean, I'm not sure that kids want you always to be working on yourself (laughs) and doing all stuff, you know. Uh Just be real. Say, right, okay. So if you can catch it quickly, but sometimes when we are triggered or an old memory is triggered we don't have any control of that that's the difficulty and that's the problem with you know if you have young children and you really lose it because sometimes parents really really lose it and it's because something is really really triggered so I can remember when my eldest son was about 18 months something like that I think he just would not allow me to dress him and I wanted to go out and I just got so angry (laughs) I'm so upset. And afterwards, I said, well, what was going on with me? And what I realized was that I felt completely powerless because there's no way I could force the blooming clothes onto him. And he was being really, really, really difficult. Now, if I'd known then what I know now, probably my mood wasn't good in the beginning. Probably was something going on with me in the beginning that he was actually reacting to or the way in which I was going about wanting him to get dressed. But I remember having this absolutely incandescent rage. (laughs) I thought, this is ridiculous. But really the problem was my powerlessness, which I had felt in spades as a kid. Mm. You mentioned there about a parent sort of doing a lot of work on themselves and that potentially being problematic. How can you go to these kind of making repair conversations without accidentally sort of parentifying the children and it not becoming a kind of self-project Yeah, I can imagine that's quite a fine line. Well, I think if you're talking about making repair with a child. Yes. Okay. So the whole point of making a repair with a child is they're not going to become parentified. Right. (laughs) You're going to be grown up. (laughs) You know, you're going to be grown up and you're going to say, whatever it was, you know, I completely forgot to pick you up from school. I don't know. Yeah. Really upsetting for a child. So it's like we're saying, okay, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm willing to do a bit better. And as you know, I'm not up for perfect parenting, but that wasn't good enough. You know, what I did wasn't good enough. I'm sorry. And I want to do better. I mean, the child would feel a lot safer with you saying, I just didn't do that well enough. And and I've just got to learn about how to do that or how to remember or whatever it might be. The parentified child comes in when parents are not actually attending to their own emotional well-being and they expect the child to do that. Or indeed, they're not able to cope. Some people are not able to cope, not able to cope just with getting breakfast on the table or, you know, whatever else it might be, organising bedtime, you know, just packing the school lunch. Sometimes parents just can't cope. And children will come in very early on to cope with all that and take over looking after the parent. Or if the parent is incredibly depressed, the child may well take on trying to make the parent happier and, you know, not be any trouble and tiptoe around the parent. So parentified children come in when parents can't parent. And there are plenty of people who can't parent. It's a really hard job. Mm. But of course, there's an opportunity when said parent wakes up to that and realises that would have been really hard for them. And there is great value in coming to the child and acknowledging that when the time's right. Yeah, I think whenever we recognise something, it's, you know, it's about having courage to say, okay, I got it wrong. 
There's something about parents think they should be right, they should be right, and uh, that's not necessarily the case. So certainly not always been a good enough mother, but I've been mostly a good enough mother. And um, it's, it's just it's a really interesting journey with your child, and children are going to be your teachers because they're going to challenge you. They're going to mirror back to you aspects of yourself that you haven't yet accepted in yourself. And normally what we do is we protect ourselves uh, from that feeling and we make the child wrong. Mm. So you know, very often if you listen up in supermarkets or on the train or wherever, you know, children are constantly being made wrong. And that's distressing for children. And so I think I'd take right and wrong out of the whole language, really, because it's complex. You know, we're complex human beings. And so having some compassion for yourself, very important. The more that you understand yourself and make repair with yourself, the easier this will all be. And the less times that you'll have a flip out and an over the top reaction. So it's a gradual journey through life. But if we're constantly behaving in a way that's distressing to others, and that's our partners and anybody else, question is why? Why am I doing it? And what help do I need? And, you know, there's help all over the place. There's obviously lots of therapy that may be too expensive for people, but there's also lots of help with other charities, there's help from friends. There's all sorts of help available, but just be willing to ask for it, to admit, even know that we need it. A lot of people don't even know it. Yeah. We've talked a lot about identity in a previous episode the first year. So going about repairing your relationship with yourself is a really important place to start if that's necessary, if you've lost your way somewhere along the parenting journey. How do you start making repair with yourself? Well, the first thing you have to know is that you need to make repair with yourself. And quite often we don't even recognise that. So once we realise, actually, you know what, I'm still really upset about aspects of my life when I was very young. We can then go to a self-help book. You know, there's a wonderful book called Homecoming. That's a, a brilliant book for working through repairing your relationship with your inner child. So many of our adult problems come from very early in our life and we don't realise that we still have the problem until it shows up in some relationship or other. It doesn't just necessarily with your children. It'll show up in other intimate relationships especially. And it's only then that we can get to see ourselves because we don't see ourselves very well. So once we recognise there's something, I mean, The Road Less Travel, that's another book that Scott Peck's. So many people read that and wake up. That's a sort of wake up book. And, you know, gradually, gradually we wake up and there are loads of ways to do it. So, you know, certainly reading, very helpful, journaling, very helpful. And to also talk to our friends or if you can get professional help, have professional help. Mm. And I imagine the same rules apply to making repair with your partner. Yep, absolutely. So it's just something. The reason that making repair helps really is, first of all, if I'm the one making repair, I take responsibility for my behaviour that was unacceptable. The other person gets acknowledged that they've been put in a situation which wasn't just, if you like, that may have been upsetting to them. And you need to hear back from them what it was that was upsetting. You don't know necessarily, but you have an idea. And then if you can hear that and apologise, the other person feels that their experience was acknowledged and affirmed. And then it can just be let go. 
But it's no good getting angry every day and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I won't do that again, and then doing it again, because that's not safe for kids. It's probably important to manage your expectation from the outcome of this conversation around making repair, because if you go, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to make repair with my child for this aspect of history that was really problematic for us both, and hope that it's going to provide some great big I don't know, makeup of some kind, that might not happen. So you've got to be prepared for any outcome, right? Absolutely. So if you're going to take accountability for your behaviour at a certain time and the child then doesn't want to hear you or, or forgive you or whatever it might be, you need to be able to be strong enough to say, okay, did that, I regret. I mean, we all have regrets. I can't think there'll be a parent alive that doesn't have regrets. I can't think of it because it's such a challenging job to be 24-7 with your children and keep some sort of an even keel, honestly. So I think probably everybody has got regrets. If there are any parents out there who don't, get in touch. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, I'd like to meet them. Um, But the thing is that, you know, we just need to have our regrets and forgive ourselves. I can't do more about that. I need to forgive myself and um, just to accept that. And actually, the most important time is now. So then you do better now with your friendships, relationships, your interaction in the world. Just do better now. And there are benefits to rupture and repair in a parent-child relationship, aren't there? Very much so, yes. It's very important that children can learn that it's um, possible after rupture to have repair. So if it's sort of... You know, a time when children are quite testing, perhaps when they're toddlers and you might get sort of exhausted and irritated and, you know, just say, oh, can't bear this any longer for me and take a space or walk away or something or be a bit offhand or a bit angry and then realise it. So, you know, the rupture happens and when we're angry, we're not very loving. You know, we withdraw really into ourselves, our energy. We're kind of not very loving of the other or consider the other. And then we realise, actually, come on, you know, you can do better than this. And you go back and you repair. Then that child learns to feel, okay, this is what happens in life. You can have a rupture. It's not going to be the end of the world because we can then repair. And then it also allows people to be a little bit more open, a bit more honest, not tiptoeing around each other. But if you feel there's going to be a rupture and there's no repair, or if there is a rupture and no repair, that's really distressing. I think not just for children, for everybody. Mm. So the repair is so settling Mm. in whatever the situation is. Yeah. And I would imagine the person who has caused the rupture, them not making an attempt to make repair with themselves or the rest of the family must be so painful for them. Yeah, they, they often get quite imploded. It depends, you know, it's painful, but whether they just connect their pain or whether they just think that they were right. They may just think they're right. Mm, That's funny. often the case, just disconnected, don't understand that, that the behaviour is not right. But quite often things don't just happen once, they happen a number of times. And if something's happening a number of times, then it's like, okay, this must be something about me, maybe. Mm. Common denominator. (laughs) That's the thing. What are your views on adoption in terms of making repair? So this is a very complicated and important subject because children who've been adopted have necessarily felt rejected by their mothers. They may have had quite a difficult pregnancy because somebody knows they've got to hand up a child for adoption. They're probably not very well supported. They're probably not really connecting with that child. And then this child is handed on perhaps to a foster home and then perhaps to a family. 
And so there's been a lot of experience for the very young child in terms of relationships, in terms of bonding, and in terms of them making up their mind about themselves and, you know, who are they and is it their fault? And they'll have lots of questions. Again, this is all very unconscious. But later in life, I think it's really helpful for people who've been adopted to be able to have connection with the birth mother if they want to. It has to be if they want to. Because then it can put some things in place for them and their mother can explain to them why they handed up the child for adoption. And perhaps now there's a lot more documentation that happens. I think it's a lot better than it used to be. There was a time there was no register at all, so it was very hard for people to find their birth mothers. But if they meet their birth mother, with whom they might find they have very little connection, but if that mother can say to them, the reason that I had to hand you up for adoption, which broke my heart, was because I was at university and I didn't have any way to support you, etc., etc., etc. And then the person who's been adopted will be able to realise, actually, that, that it wasn't because they weren't loved. It wasn't because there's something wrong with them. You know, people who are not able to do that will continue to carry the, the pain of the rejection. And that's likely to show up in relationships, either by being very needy in relationships or being very unavailable in relationships. You know, it's going to show up. So if you can make that repair, I think it's incredibly helpful. And I've worked with a number of people who at first, when I've suggested it would be a really good thing to meet their birth parent, I don't want to do that. She's nothing to me, whatever, I don't want to do that. And then eventually, as they begin to think about it more, they agree to do it. And normally speaking, it's very healing. Mm. Even if they don't build any relationship with that person, they might or might not build a relationship with that person. But it puts a piece in place that will allow more ease in the psyche. It'll allow them to kind of drop into themselves a little bit more. And does that apply to children who had generally absent parents as well? If at a point in their life they want to make contact with that parent that wasn't really around to understand them better, to understand themselves? I think it's really helpful to know who your parents are. I think it's very helpful to know a little bit about your parents' background because we are all very affected by the ancestral epigenetic imprint, and I'll explain what that is. So things that have gone on in our ancestors' families, especially things that have not been resolved, get passed on down through the genes. So there's obviously the genetic thing from a health point of view, very important to understand what health history is. But at another emotional level, you know, if there are secrets in the family or if there have been atrocities in the family or suicides or children adopted in or adopted out that are not known about, all of that is very helpful to know about so that we can find our place in the world. Otherwise, we can be quite confused about our place in the world. Mm. Are there layers to an apology? Something beyond a simple, I'm sorry. In my experience, if a parent just came to me and said, I'm sorry, I'd want to know the detail of why they're sorry. Are you talking as an adult or child? Oh, interesting. Oh, that's transactional analysis, that is. That's what it is. <laughs> I, I would say a bit of both. Well, I think, as I said, if you're going to be talking to your adult child, then it's going to be a longer conversation yeah. about, I'm really sorry... I had no idea that um, it really mattered that I was there to look after you. I thought that nanny or granny, whoever it was, grandpa, was fine. And I didn't realise how much of my energy and time was taken up in work and what a workaholic I was and actually how addicted I was to working. I'm really sorry about that. 
I look back now and I think, what a waste. See, that's an explanation. I'd be happy with that. But if I didn't <laughs> get that, I think I'd want to push for that. I'd be like, oh, you're sorry. You're sorry, are you? Why's that? Come on. Yeah. Tell no, 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 absolutely. There's more than just the I'm sorry. There is a, there's a sorry, there's the explanation, but also it depends, you know, what age child you're talking to and, um, you know, what it's about. But yeah, sorry, the explanation, and then also the need to think to yourself, you know, why was I workaholic? What was I doing? You know, what was I? What was I about? You know, why didn't I understand that my child needed me? Mm. And the workaholic thing is just being brought in there as an example, of course, everybody at home. So, can you share a good example of how making repair has worked in your life, Kitty? I think in my own personal life, in both ways, in making repair with my children and also making repair with my mum, I never made repair with my father, so that was a a loss, if you like. I never had the courage for that. And um, he's no longer alive since a very long time, but I had very little relationship with him ever. But it would have been a brilliant thing to do. I never had the guts, so I encourage people to have the guts to do it. So in terms of my own children, I've spoken on previous episodes that I became quite postnatally depressed when my children were toddlers. And um, really for 18 months, I was going through the motions of being a mum, but I really wasn't very present and I definitely was very unhappy. And um, it took me a while to sort all that out. And so when my children were sort of eight and six, um, 12 and 10, uh, 14 and (laughs) 12, I've talked to them about this and I've explained to them that I'm aware that I went through this period of time and that I say to them, You know, I can only imagine this was really difficult and upsetting for you because I just wasn't able to be a good enough mum in that time. And and they could talk about it. And so it's not something that they've held onto. So we've been able to bring it up. And I would have talked to them again as adults as well. You know, that's, that's really helped us to stay in very good communication. And I couldn't do more about it because what actually happened was that when my kids got to a certain age, so I think at a three-year-old, I think I just gave up and became depressed. So my eldest son got to three. I think the reflection back to me overwhelmed me. And then we moved out of London and I was sort of utterly miserable because I missed the buzz of London and I was suddenly sort of faced with you know, wonderful nature, but it, <laughs> it didn't distract me enough. So I met this part of myself. And then, you know, I've spoken before about going to speak back to my mum and talk to her and to heal that. So I think it's something that really works. I'm remembering working with, say, parents and children and asking the parents to tell their children their story and to make repair with them and just seeing the relief in the children. I'm just witnessing and holding space and seeing the relief in those children as the parents just spoke up their truth. Because the children are holding on to stuff that they don't know consciously that they're holding on to it. But when it's named to them, it allows it to release. So the difficulty is that we are icebergs. So we're 10% conscious, the rest of us is under the water. And it's that bit under the water that causes us so much difficulty that we react to and that actually our children feel and know about that we don't realize ourselves. And that's why quite often they say things to us that just hit such a button, such a sore point. And we have a choice to either react to that, you know, as a, oh, that's something for me to understand about myself or to make them wrong for saying it. How dare you say that to me? 
And what about with your two sons? Have they ever come to make repair with you? Because you've been modelling this to them. Have you seen it reflected back in their behaviour? Yeah, for sure. I think so. You know, I'm thinking about a small incident with one of my sons who, as a teenager, would get very moody and a bit sort of grumpy and angry and, um, you know, be difficult. And then that period of time would pass and then he would come back to me and he'd say... I'm really sorry, Mum. I realise I've been really moody. I have no idea why I was being moody. And give me a big hug. Oh, so that's, that's so the other sweet. Way around. Yeah, no, it was great. And so I think the thing is that we've continually, I think because my interest in this thing, we've continually stayed in open communication. We haven't always agreed with each other. Just we're able to talk with each other, hear each other. And if we have a disagreement, we have a disagreement. But it feels very healthy and very safe. And I think to them as well. Can it ever backfire? Well, one of the things about showing your vulnerability to anybody, and we are kind of really showing our vulnerability. So if we say, for instance, we, we're going to give the reason why we've just behaved badly and we say something about ourselves that we're struggling with, then anybody can pick that up and fire it back at you. Mm. So quite often, and this could happen with, say, partners, you know, so you show some vulnerability and then in a difficult moment, you know, they're going to throw it back at you. So with the case of the workaholic, that that child might throw it back another time. So of course, you were never there. You're always in the office, you know, it might get thrown back at you. And if they do, I think just don't take it so personally, or if you take it personally, do something about it. I agreed, I accepted, I, I wasn't there. And then it might be hard to have that mirrored back to you, but that's the painful bit you just need to sit with and process. Or else recognise that in that moment, it's been said to you in anger. And when something's said to you in anger, it's really more about the other person. Mm. And what happens if you're never able to get there to make repair? You spoke a little bit there about your experience with your father. What do you advise to people that just don't get a chance? Well, you can do things like writing letter. I mean, even if the person's deceased, you can write a letter, you can say all the stuff you never managed to say. You can do a ceremony. Ceremony is really important. You might plant a tree in your garden if you've got a garden and, you know, you might dedicate that to the parent and you might visit that tree occasionally and talk to that parent. In some way, it's useful to process it. And quite often there are times when we can't actually go and speak to somebody or if somebody has deceased. Or even in the worst case scenario, with a child who's deceased and you feel that you haven't been fully whatever you wanted to be, you know, you can write to them as well. You might tie it in a hot air balloon, let it float up to heaven or whatever is up there. <laughs> you know, it's very important just to allow yourself to express what you feel. And then forgive yourself because none of us are perfect. All of us are going to fuck up. It's just not to fuck up too badly. <laughs> that should be the hashtag for the series. <laughs> All of us fuck up, but just try not to fuck up too badly. I love it. I love it. So earlier you said about telling the story, which is an alternative way of making repair. Let's pick up with that and explain what that means a little bit. Yes, yeah, so quite often children might show, uh, for instance, separation distress might be situation. I can tell a story about uh, ages ago now. I was in the hairdresser and I was talking to my hairdresser about the work I'm doing and the lady next door leant over to me and said, do you think I could have your card? <laughs> could I possibly come and talk to you? And so she made an appointment with me and her son was four and uh, he wouldn't go to school. 
And he was really, 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 really distressed. And uh, it just, you know, she couldn't even peel him off her. I don't think she'd ever actually peel children off parents, but <laughs> wait till they're ready. But she couldn't get him to go to school. And then um, when she spoke to me, she talked about the birth that she'd had with this boy, which had become very traumatic. And um, he got stuck in the birth canal. And then they had to do a emergency cesarean and sort of pull him out backwards, but he was halfway down, halfway up. She was quite traumatised by all of that, so it was a very tricky beginning. And um, I think there was separation then, because I think she was upset, and I don't know why, I can't remember what, why the separation was, but there was some separation between the mother and the child after this traumatic birth. So I said to this mum, you know, tell him his story. He said, what? I said, you know, tell him his story. So the story goes something like this with uh, young children, is that uh, whatever the truth is, I was delighted to find you in my tummy. That was very exciting for me. Or if it wasn't the truth, then say I was surprised, you know. But you must take responsibility for getting pregnant because the child doesn't get pregnant by themselves. So in this case, she was happy to be pregnant. And she started to talk about how she was looking forward to being a mum, etc. And then she told him about the birth. And she was just saying that, but you got stuck and you were in distress. And he then took over the story to her amazement. And he said, yes, ma'am, and there was a very loud noise. Now, what had happened in the labour room was that they'd pushed the emergency bell and they, so that the surgeon would come and quickly perform a cesarean. But this child was able to tell her about his own birth memory. So he's now four, and he's still got that memory. He's still able to speak about it. Wow. So, you know, that's a trauma that got in the way of this child, together with whatever the separation was. He couldn't then separate and go to school because this trauma was still too live in him. Mm. And did they make progress Yeah, after that? Absolutely. Oh, hurrah, there's no expiration date on connecting and making repair with your kids. That's brilliant news. <laughs> there's hope for all. <laughs> and this mum, as you can imagine, was absolutely astounded when he took over the story. Yeah, I can imagine a four-year-old hmm. coming out with that and you would just usually imagine that the children don't have any memory of their birth. And they totally do. We all have, of course, but we, you know, we don't remember it now, but you can access your own memory of your own birth if you want to. And, you know, for years I ran a parenting program called Babies Know and they do know. They do know and we should respect that intelligence. There's a bit earlier where you were talking about mum going back to work really quickly and her sort of saying that was problematic. I just got a stirring of that could be problematic for some women to hear because we're sort of trying to promote women working and having equal access in the workplace. That should be in some way a good example for a child to see that their mum can work, that they're allowed to work. Some women aren't privileged enough to be supported by the significant other. So I think this is a really massive issue right now mm. because what society wants to do and what perhaps women want to do is not aligned with what babies need. Okay. So it's not about making this politically correct and so on and so forth and not upsetting people. Some of this is designed to upset people. So they yeah. think babies need their mums and if they can possibly have their mums, that's the best solution. Maybe can't, so they need another warm, consistent carer. However, you know, people go back to work early for all sorts of reasons that actually aren't necessary. Mm. 
if you have to go out to work because you've got no food on the table, of course you've got to go out to work. Mm. But there are a lot of people who go out to work because they're bored at home or they don't want to be at home or they want to be staying on the career ladder. I mean, this is a massive collision mm. between women's freedom to choose their career and mother. It's a very big collision. Do you think that you can't have both? You can't have a career and a child? I think it compromises most people's career when they stop and have maternity leave. I mean, we have got maternity leave. Um, I think it's about influencing institutions and companies to actually honour that mothers have not lost their value when they come back into the company. But it's really difficult. So I think that maternity leave is available, I think, is it up to a year, partly paid, partly not paid. Mm. But you've got to decide what your priorities are. And if you want to invest into your child's well-being to work full time mm. and have a baby under a year, I don't think you can have both successfully. Yeah, I suppose part of me imagines that being a working mum is a good example for a young girl, particularly if I had a daughter, I'd like to think that she would believe that she could also have a good career. Well, there's lots of ways that you can do that, but you're talking about a young girl now, you're not talking about a baby. I'm talking about babies. Yeah, okay. You know, babies need another at least nine months to be able to come into the world and to be able to be held and feel safe and secure and develop healthy patterning. Mm. A five-year-old child's quite different or a three-year-old child's quite different. I don't know that you need to model that necessarily. You can certainly encourage people, but you can model it if you want or you can talk about it and encourage them. Mm. But I think there's just a collision between the freedom that women found, which is brilliant, and the needs of children. Mm. Babies I'm particularly talking about. When did you go back to work when you had your boys? So I think um, Max was about 18 months or something. And I was very fortunate because I just worked at home and his dad was there. And I only worked very, very little. I didn't go out to work. People came to the house and I organised as much as possible my sessions around his sleep time. So I didn't really go back to work Mm. in terms of going out of the house and working a full-time job. I just worked a few hours a week. But I was fortunate that I was able to do that. Yeah, I've got lots of friends who have very successful careers or businesses that they've started which they can't leave because if they do, the business will fold. But they're also at that age where if they don't sort of start planning to have a family, then they might miss the boat. It's a really sort of tricky thing to navigate now as a woman. Massively difficult. Yeah, I think women would need to be well informed so they make the decision that they want to make, given the understanding of what it means. And of course, in some cases, the women keep working and the men stays home and looks after the baby, which can also happen if that man is willing to be able to be present and to be you know, warm and consistent. But ideally, the baby wants the continuation of the mother because the mother's got the breasts and the breast milk, and that's where they've been housed all this time. Mm. And so... In the modern world where the sort of roles are no longer so defined, it's complicated from the developmental situation of children. Sure. And so just as a kind of ballpark, what age would you say is ideal if the mum is going to go back to work? What's the ideal age? I think if you can possibly go back when the child is three, when the child has much more capacity to be on their own and to be able to be sort of a little bit more independent, that's ideal. Otherwise, at least a year. Mm-hmm. It can be extremely boring being at home with the baby if you mm-hmm. don't like it. And mm-hmm. that's often a big instigator as well, but people want to go back to work. 
you know. So I think it's about really thinking deeply about what's important. How do I want to bring up my child? What's important to me? What's important to my partner? If I've got the choice. Yeah, if you've got the choice and you want a successful, thriving family life, but you also want a successful, thriving career, how do you manage the two, being realistic about holding those both? I think you don't. I think something has to give. Okay. I don't think you can do it all because it's still only 24 hours in the day. Yeah. I mean, some women are working huge jobs, flying all over the world, and their children are are looked after by a kind of fleet of nannies, you know. (laughs) It's not ideal. And obviously this episode is about making repair. And so if later down the line you think, I think all I was doing really was trying to be a successful woman in the world and I was trying to lead a good example for my children. I think either way, whatever you do in your working life, it will impact your children. So just having a chat with them about it when they're older. Hey, Mm. how was my working life? when you were younger how did that impact you and how do you see that maybe just sort of having it as an open conversation yeah and one of the things you might see is that actually they don't have great lot of communication with their grown-up children because they didn't have a lot of communication in the beginning Mm. yeah it's an investment isn't it when they're young that time as we've said in previous episodes yeah I think a lot of what I say is inconvenient Oh, that's really making me laugh because it's so true. (laughs) Um, So I love this episode. I love that there's no expiration date on connecting and making repair with your kids. That's brilliant news. I love that there's hope for us all. Thank you so much, Kitty. My pleasure. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for listening. That's it from us for now. But please join our community online to continue the discussion and watch this space for more episodes.